Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose word was made, the hearers begged that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Last week we looked at the call to holiness. Uh, We looked at the many implications and applications of that call. How do we live and pursue the life of peace with everyone and the life of holiness? This lifelong work every day striving towards the goal. But after the writer tells them that, he then reminds them that as they do this, remember who you are. You are not who you were. You are something different. By virtue of your adoption, you are now something else. Ashton and Gracie by virtue of their adoption, are my children. They were something, and now they are something else. And I quickly lose my temper with anyone who tries to say otherwise. The same thing is true of our relationship with God. We are his children. Nothing can change this. No one can take this away. You've been given a new status. And it is from that state, that status, that you get to work out your salvation. The promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament have all now been fulfilled in Jesus and particularly in the church, or through, through Jesus into the church in the New Testament. We are to hold fast then to Christ as Savior, no matter how difficult it may be. And we see this in our text. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the mountain of God, the city of God, and the mediator of God. The mountain of God, the city of God, and the mediator of God. As we begin in verse 18, the writer of Hebrews is remembering back. He remembers Sinai. It's, 
you know, there's some days where I like to wake up and, and I would like to claim that I plan things out very, very well. I don't. When I started doing Hebrews and then we moved into Exodus, I didn't plan that. They've gone really well together. <laughs> and I thank God for that. There's many occasions where I'm like, hey, well, that's nice. And that's God's working, not my working. I give him all the credit for that. Uh, but in Sunday school, we have recently looked at Sinai and the, the, the moment when Israel comes to Sinai and God says, hey, here's the boundaries. Don't come any closer. And if you come any closer, by the way, uh, you or your beast, you need to kill that person or that animal. Don't come near me. On that mountain was fire, was darkness. They were to come up to it, but they were not to go on it. God had delivered his people out of Egypt. He had brought them to Sinai that they might worship. But they were not to come and step on this mountain. And we see in our text a contrast between the mountain that is Sinai and the mountain that is Zion. We see a contrast between Moses and Jesus. We see a contrast between law and gospel. Sinai was a place of fear and trembling where the earth shook, or shook where fire was at. It was a boundary of separation Between God and man. God said this place is holy. You are not holy. Stay away. Do not come here. It was a separation between God and man. Because of our sin. And his holiness. Again fire this deadly barrier. There was darkness. All of this, as we saw, rattled the Israelites. As God is on the mountain and he is proclaiming his Ten Commandments, what do we see them doing? They turned around and they ran far from the mountain because they understood something, that their sinfulness could not be brought into God's holiness. And they said, Moses, you go talk to God. We can't do it. That's Sinai. Sinai, which much like the temple, showed separation between man and God. But we are moving, the writer of Hebrews tells us, from Sinai to Zion. And Zion is different. Zion is different Then Sinai, Philip Hughes says this, Such were the terrors of Sinai, the mount of God's law, where because of their sinfulness, the people were unable to draw near to God's presence. How different are the circumstances of Zion, the mount of God's grace, where thanks to the perfect law-keeping and all-sufficient sacrifice of himself, offered by the incarnate Son in our stead, We are invited to draw near with boldness into the heavenly holies, holy of holies, 
we, the church, has come to Zion. But let me tell you something. This does not mean God has changed. God is still the God of Sinai, isn't he? He is still the God that is to be feared. But the difference is, there is no longer separation. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought into the presence of God. We get to come into his presence and we don't have to turn tail and we don't have to run because of our sin. Sinai meant separation. Do not enter. It's a terrible thing to be in the presence of a holy God. The response of Sinai was was fear and trembling. But now we get to come before that might and power. We have access to God through Christ. How can you live holy lives? Or what enables you, I should say, to live holy lives? It's Jesus. It's no longer a promise of death. It's a promise of life. It's what we are now in him right now. He not only calls it a mountain, he calls it a city. You've been brought to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And again, we don't, he doesn't point here to Sinai or to Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, but there's still the contrast here. Because what was present in earthly Jerusalem? Temple. Curtains. Walls. What did all these things show? Division. No access. But you've been brought into this heavenly city where Christ is at. You've been brought here by his deliverance. No longer are you prohibited. There you find grace. There you find God. So you no longer fear. You no longer run. You come boldly. You draw near this city. You find hope in every single step. And the question I believe the writer of Hebrews is asking is, why would you go back to the old mountain? Why would you go back to the old city? Why would you go back to the old man? You are now different. And there's characteristics of this different. On one hand, where you had fire and you had darkness, now you have angels arrayed in all their heavenly finest. They're beckoning you to come in. You have the firstborn enrolled in heaven into God, the judge of all. This is Jesus Christ. And the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is where the people of God are at. They're inviting us into his presence to worship with them. And there we have Jesus, the head of the church. That is his body leading us. He's our Lord. He's our King. Colossians 1 1 verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Jesus is that cornerstone by which everything else sets its pattern. It is the thing by which we are conformed to his image. And now we see God as judge, but not as a judge of smoke and fire. He is now a, a, of death. He is a judge of life. Again, Philip Hughes says this judge is also God. He is also the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who perfect sacrifice is the first ground of our acceptance and justification. To him, the Christian believer comes gladly with confidence, knowing That for him, it's a throne not of judgment, but a throne of grace. He comes not as a judge to condemn, but as a judge to vindicate. So the question we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, is what city do we live in? Who are you, in essence? It's a question that we're always asking Do you have the Lord who is over you? Do you share in all that the firstborn has been given? Uh, Do you inherit all that Jesus has inherited? Uh, The problem is that we can come and begin our life of sanctification, this process of being made holy, thinking that we're not yet holy. And that's a problem. It's an identity crisis, isn't it? We can fall into this pattern where we first and foremost identify ourselves as sinner. The one who is not worthy. The one who comes to the mountain, sees God, and runs in fear. And if that's how we're trying to do holiness, it's, it's all about performance, isn't it? No, we get to come up to the city and we get to say, I come into the city as a son and as a daughter. Does this mean we're perfect? By no means. Does this mean that we're still struggling with who we were and who we are and who we're going to be? Yes. But it means we're marked as different. I think there's this theological concept that is very helpful for us here. Uh, Theologians call it the fourfold state of man. And it simply means this, that we exist as men, human race, whatever you want to call us, in four states. Before the fall, you had man who was sinless, who was able to choose not to sin, but that was also able to choose to sin. And then you have man after the fall. And after the fall, all man can do is choose to sin. Then you have man after Jesus. And now we have the ability to sin or not to sin. And then you have this fourth state, which is what? Glorification. Not able to ever sin again. Brothers and sisters, we're in that that third state right now. If you were in Christ, you have the ability to not sin because you have been made different. And yes, you said, well, Daniel, but that also means we have the choice of what we still sin. And you're like, yes, but you're different. You're not what you're going to be, but you're different now. We're able to not sin because we've been given the spirit of God. He indwells in us. So we are holy and, and, and we feel this tension every day, right? Daniel, you say I'm holy, but I don't feel holy. And yeah, we struggle. We struggle. We all struggle with the, the already and the not yet, who we are and who we're going to be. But we're different now. 
There is something different about us right now. The difference is Jesus. This new mediator that we have. This new mediator of the new covenant. We have mediation that is gained for us through the blood of Jesus. Jesus has opened the gates to the city. He has enabled access to the mountain through his blood. He has done that. It is finished. In the Old Testament, when the covenant was ratified, Moses took blood. He put it on this hyssop branch. He spread it on the people. They were covered in the blood of the covenant. It's a wonderful and a beautiful image, but it's faulted, isn't it? Because what does the blood of bull and goats do? Nothing. It doesn't remove sin. But now we're covered in a different sprinkling of blood, aren't we? And to Jesus, the meteor of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. You have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It's a better word. And and it uses here the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel speak to us? Murder has entered the, the earth. Killing. It speaks storms. It speaks a life of, of, of sinfulness. Death, murder has come. In Jesus and Abel, we see two men killed by their brothers. But while Abel's blood brought storms, Jesus' blood cries, Peace be still. You have come now into his presence. You cannot turn away from a salvation like this. There is no other. But I want you to look at verse 22 for a second. And see what it says for you. But you have come to Mount Zion. You okay? So, sometimes I think it's the small words that we miss. You have come. Not you will come. Not you are coming. You have come. So what does that mean, brothers and sisters in Christ? Where are you right now? You have come to Zion. That is your home. That is your reality right now. You are vindicated by God. You are proclaimed righteous and made perfect in Christ. John Owen the Puritan says this, we have here blessed, or we have here a blessed, yea, a glorious description of the church as the nature and communion of it are revealed under the gospel. We have here the substance of all the privileges which we receive through the gospel. This is about you. 
So look at the people around you. To your left, to your right, look at them. Maybe look at those who annoy you a little bit. Or try your patience. Maybe look at those who have you pulled your hair out over. But don't look at them and see the ways they frustrate you. Look at them and see Jesus in them. Look at them and see how Jesus looks at them. How they'll be in eternity. Marvel at the glory of God in them. Because they are no longer defined and marked by their sins. They are defined and marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at yourself. Do you doubt? Certainly do you fear? Sure. But see what God sees in you. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't go, there they go sinning again. Why can't they just get their act straight? God looks at you and sees the blood of Jesus. So when God looks at you, he sees the perfect blood of the Lamb. You're not just forgiven, you're made perfect in Christ. So when we look at the Bible and it says, be perfect even as I am perfect. When it says, be holy even as I am holy. He's just saying to us, be who you are. That's who you are. You are perfect, holy, and spotless. And you go, Daniel, I don't feel perfect, holy, and spotless. And I go, yeah, that's right. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus in you. He sees the righteousness of God in you. And if the God of all the universe can look at you and see Jesus, who are you to look at yourself and see anything else? Who are you to look at yourself and see anything else? And it's from that standpoint that you go, okay, this is who I am. I'm, I'm in Jesus. Now I get to be sanctified. Everything else flows out of it, doesn't it? It's the process of, of being who we are. Not who we hope we will someday be. We have a mediator who is Christ our Lord. We have one who has moved us from death to life. He has made us a new creation. You now are a new creation. You're not the possibility of a new creation. You're not the hope of a new creation. You are now a new creation. If you are in Jesus. Now I tell you, if you're not in Jesus, these words are not for you. You are in a completely different place. You are, in a, you are still standing before Sinai. Separated. But you need to see yourself how Jesus sees you. Gosh, man, wouldn't that, wouldn't that make all the difference? When we get up and we have those days where we're just, we're just not we, we, we end the day and we go, well, I just didn't do good today. You go, you know what? 
Is that sin wrong? 100%. Should we repent of it? 100%. But we come to the Father and we say, Father, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. And he looks at you and says, I already have. And unlike earthly fathers, he doesn't sit there and go, remember that time? Remember that time? No, he looks at us and says, hey, remember when Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished? And he took all the weight of the sins of, the, of, of my people on himself? Remember that time? You remember that time Jesus rose from the dead? That's what he says to us. Because Jesus, we sing, has paid it all and he has paid it all. You know, we're about to come to this table. And I, I actually probably have a point of contention with maybe even some of my fellow ministers when it comes to this table. Because they'll read 1 Corinthians 11 and they'll, they'll say, well, if you have unrepentant sin, you shouldn't come to this table. And I, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Do we, if, if we're waiting for un, all our unrepented sins to be taken care of, who can ever come? Who could ever come to this table? I fear that at times we allow that to, to move ourselves into, I have to be worthy to come to this table. Is there a warning? Certainly. The warning is, do you know Jesus or don't you? The warning is, have you committed your life to him or haven't you? And I could be wrong there, but I really believe through my study of that, that's what it's saying. Because we approach this table not worrying about our sins, not even beating ourselves up over our sins. We come to this table and it says to us, this is what Jesus has already done for you. This is who you already are. This is Jesus' body broken for you. This is Jesus' blood poured out for you for all of your sins. So it's not a table where we go, I'm so bad and Jesus is so great. That's not what this table is about. If you come to this table and you're, you're sitting here going, man, I'm so bad and Jesus is so great. That's not what it's about. It's about saying this, man, Jesus has covered me in his blood He has made me who I am, a son and a daughter. And so I come and I rejoice in who I am now and who he is ultimately making me to be. That's what this table is about. It's not for for perfected people. It's not for perfectly holy people. It's for the children of God. Former sinners who are saved by grace. I'm not preaching perfection here either. We have to be careful. We have to be careful when we think about this. this and it's the tension. Isn't it? It's the tension we all feel. Who we are and who we are going to be. It's not about being perfect. It's about resting and trusting in the one who is perfect. It's about having Jesus as our one and only mediator. And it changes our posture. So we look to the mountain and we run to the mountain. 
We don't run away from it. We run towards him. We come into the presence of a perfectly holy God. Do we still fear and tremble? You better believe it. Because guess what? The God of Sinai is still the God of Zion. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We saw that Wednesday, right? But we still come boldly. We don't stay away. Because in Christ we have nothing to fear. We come live where Jesus lives. Where he'll reign forever. He's bringing this message of salvation that can be found only in his own righteousness. We come to the mediator, to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Who loved you so much that he put his own life down for you. And don't come with hesitation. Come with boldness. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim it as Christ my own. I probably messed those up a little, but you get the point. We come boldly. Boldly. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think far too often we are living a timid, half-hearted, identity crisis faith. We're more concerned with who we think we should be than with who we actually are. And I'm not saying in any of this that we don't walk the walk of sanctification. We do. And so you should set for yourself patterns. And you should set for yourself habits. And you should make efforts every day to strive. But when you fail... You got to stop beating yourself up. You have to go back and remember who you are. I think we can be so guilty of a performance based faith that our sanctification becomes the way we try to justify ourselves. And we get the order out of place. Know who you are. Know who you are in him. Not would-be children. Not maybe children. Not someday children. Children now. And no one can take that from you. My daughters will bear the last name Levengood till they marry. If they marry, they will be Levengoods. And to be honest, in my mind, even when they marry, they will not be who they are. They'll be living goods. But that's a father's privilege. They're my children. You are children of the living God. Nothing, no one gets to take that from you. If you are in him, that's who you are. That's the standpoint by which you do everything else. Remember who you are. And then, and then, seek holiness and peace with everyone. Oh, thanks. That's not hard. (laughs) 
it is hard. But having that touchstone of where we are, it makes all the difference. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you now as hopeful, longing, dejected, rejected, discouraged, however we come. We come as your children. Lord, would you this morning, for those who are in Christ Jesus, would you show us who we are? That we bear the name Jesus Christ. That is who we are. Help us. We need you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's stand now as we sing the first two verses of Behold the Lamb as we prepare for communion this morning.